Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. some tea what a tea it is what what a tea it is it's a weird one a weird flavor a weird flavor yeah yeah it's watermelon mint black tea ah is it from trader joe's yeah duh yeah i've had it i've had it before it's pretty dope what pretty good mm-hmm. i like it marlo's here yeah, so I got a situation. Oh, boy. So, uh, it's not just a problem, it's a situation. No, it's not a problem at all. It's a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> Did you hear that dog in the background? That's mm-hmm. part of it. Hey, Ico. So, yeah, the puppy just got neutered. And Hell he yeah. can't climb steps. Hey, good boy. And so we're having a slumber party downstairs. All right. So, me and Aiko on the podcast tonight. I have a pet story as well. Yeah. Kamira, for the first time, decided to join us in bed to have a slumber party. Yeah. She was being all affectionate, and she was being nice, and she was being great. And I look away for a minute, and I look back, and I hear sputtering. And Marley, you might want to... Close your ears, but there she did. She just greatly shit on the bed. Like a bad cat. Yeah, bad cat. Just that is like, not a thing cats should do. No, it's not a thing cats should do. And she did it almost like she was proud of her. In the words of the Democrats discussing Donald Trump's behaviors right now, this is simply not done. <laughs> this is simply not within the decorum of the office of being a cat. Especially not at like 11.30 at night as I'm yeah. about to sleep. Yeah. So, so, do you have any cute animal stories? Me? Yeah, how's Zeus? He's good. He's sleeping. He's uh, curled up. Miss Tony is next to me. They've had a day because it's been on and off cheering and honking outside. Oh, yeah. 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 So uh, I will say this is not totally just I finished Disco Elysium today, but um, a good subplot of whatever Disco Elysium sequel will be would be you have to do a podcast and also watch your parents' puppy and your copies on painkillers do with that information what you will. <laughs> anyway, I'm not so much a dirtbag. I've gone down there. Just saying, in a certain CRPG series, it would be an appropriate plot point. Oh, he's he's getting settled. He's getting settled. 
Ico Ico. I love the song Ico Ico. Yeah, Dr. John. Dr. John. I got I got a vinyl of it. Yeah, I know you do. It's I, got I the that. one side with the Grateful Dead version and the other yeah. Dr. John version. And it's yeah, so, okay, high. actually, Stephen, you could get involved in this. Oh. So this year for my mom's birthday, uh, me and my sister, what we decided to do is take her somewhat nice, uh, like, high-end 1980s turntable, refurbish that bitch, and then buy her a bunch of new vinyl. Or for mm. Christmas. Christmas, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your her mom's birthday was last week. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't get her shit. I cooked her dinner. <laughs> uh, so, you know, because I'm that's a, that's a pretty nice... Yeah, I mean, it's a very adult, live-at-home son thing to do. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, for Christmas, um, yeah, getting her vinyl. So, already got on the list. Quadrophenia, obviously. Oh, uh, oh what the fuck? Hollow Notes, uh, I don't want to say Naked Lunch. It's um, Abandoned Luncheonette by mm. Hollow Notes. Yeah. So, that's the two I got on the list. What? Like, no Grateful Dead? Yeah, it's it's very cliche, but I think Working Man's is probably on that list eventually. I'm just going to send them Led Zeppelin as a role, because I know you're... Well, that's just a fuck you, man. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And I appreciate that you know what music my mother hates so well. Um, But yeah, no, I'll probably throw... I'll I'll throw Working Man's on that shit. She also personally hates... Bob Dylan. Not yeah, but not like, she hates uh, the music of Bob Dylan so much as she personally hates Bob. Okay, honestly, I will say you should join Bob Dylan's saved posting on Facebook. <laughs> what? Christian yeah. Bob Dylan? No, well, no, because it would be Bob Dylan's shit posting, but instead they say saved posting, implying that the album uh, saved equates to shit i will argue that into the ground not his worst record well yeah we'd all argue that into the ground but no the the whole like conceit of bob dylan save posting is just every fan of bob dylan hates bob dylan like all the memes are basically just either how stupid bob dylan is or how stupid people who like bob dylan are (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it fucking rules because everyone has listened to every goddamn album of his and like can quote all the songs and shit. Like everyone's a Bob Dylan fan, but like the conceit of the group is, yeah, no one likes Bob Dylan. That's kind of cringe to like like Bob Dylan, right, guys? Unless you're Adam Friedland, who unabashedly loves Bob Dylan, and then everyone makes fun of him. So. Yeah, I mean, it's like imagine liking Bob Dylan. I remember when I went to Bob Dylan to see Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson uh, at Montclair, was it college, uh, like little, not little league, like triple A baseball field, and they all played on the baseball field. And Bob Dylan, you could not switch because he switched it around so much. And then it was all his fans all complaining about that and then huddling together to try to hear one fucking word that he was saying. (laughs) (laughs) What what lyric is this song coming from? And obviously I was like the youngest person by 20 years because I was 17 when I went. And yeah, that's all I remember is 
Yeah, no, I mean, I remember, I mean, like, you know, I was raised by deadheads. Like, that was my religion. Really? I never would have been able to. Like, like, I could never tell if Bunny was Greek or not. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, I've always, like, gone to dead shows. And, like, you know, so many instances in, like, 2007, 2008, when you have, like, a bunch of, like, 50-year-old lawyers at Madison Square Garden in the row behind you, um, all smoking a joint for the one time of the year that they do that. And they see, like, this, like, you know, 19-year-old kid with dreads in front of them. And they're like, hey, man, you want this? And, like, you know, you're with your parents because they paid for the tickets but like whatever man you know you're at a dead show hang loose you're at msg hang out and uh yeah (laughs) so you just like get some free weed in 2009 it's a fucking experience it's a life uh affirming experience but point is, uh, yeah, everyone, the funnest thing about Bob Dylan, genius, uh, Nobel Prize winning lyricist, uh, is to just shit on everything he's done in it. Because, ew, it's Bob Dylan. Ew. Yeah, he's like old ew. and shit. He's like old and shit, and he was sincere and he at talks one point. funny. Also, he said the N word in Hurricane, so that's, that's the best cool. part. That's the best part of that's it. That's literally the only part. Hurricane is an eight minute song, uh, but it could be four seconds long. This- and, you know, Matt, if you want to play the four seconds I'm talking about, <laughs> go ahead, because you know what four seconds those are. Black folks, he was just a crazy No one doubted that he pulled the trigger. <laughs> Look, all I'm going to say is no one doubted that he pulled the trigger. There's the celebration. There was the N-word bleep out right there. <laughs> yeah, no one doubted that he pulled the car. <laughs> no, but isn't it the to the black folks, he was just a crazy... And the next line was, no one doubted that he pulled the trigger, which was what I was alluding to, Stephen. You didn't need No, I just wanted the context for everyone. No, no, no. Everyone else can figure out the context because it's a Bob Dylan song and those lyrics aren't hard to look up. And we're not, we're not that kind of podcast that we need to like be edgy like Vouch. Like it's not a thing we're about. Or Adam Friedland, who I'm going to keep bringing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, no one doubted that he pulled the trigger. We don't need to know what preceded that, what rhymes with trigger. No one knows what possibly rhymes with trigger. It's not a thing that we're talking about. That's not what we're saying. That's not what we're about. We are a um, very progressive in the times podcast. I like the story that he played that in front of the real hurricane who was in jail and the guy was... You know, he was mad. He was like, well, you didn't get me out of jail. Yeah, well, you know what? Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison Blues, they all do it. They they all do it. So what's up, guys? I don't know. Something happened. Something happened today. I don't want to talk about it. I'm disgusted. (laughs) I'm disgusted as well. What are you disgusted about? Mm, Like so many The bagpipes outside of my bedroom window this morning so i get i get the bagpipes uh at least once a week over here in jersey city mm. regardless of what's happening aren't you lucky mm-hmm. i have come to loathe bagpipes 
I'm just going to say the Jerry Garcia, David Grisman, um, Amazing Grace off of the pizza tapes uh, is solid. Amazing Grace. I don't know. Those are my thoughts on bagpipes. There's no bagpipes in that one. But, you know, it's Amazing Grace. So it's implied. Well, they, they, did, they did, you know, they do have three songs that they play on bagpipes, and that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the one outside my window was doing God Bless America into Amazing Grace. Oh, yeah. Back into God Bless America. Because, because guys, we did it. We fucking saved democracy. Everything's fixed to the point where people literally went to brunch en masse today. That is the funniest shit to me. Okay, so I guess I am a part of that because my uh, homemade locks, they just got done their curing process today. So I've just been like chowing on locks all day. Well, that's fine, but you you didn't go make a brunch reservation. Yeah, no, I'm not going to put that on people. Like, shit, it's a fucking pandemic. Yeah. I have my homemade locks because I am locks-pilled right now. And, uh, you know. Did you do locks-pilled? Politics is divisive. The locks is eternal. Locks-pilled. Hashtag locksmith. You know, locksmith. And follow me on Facebook once I start a new account because I'm banned from or no uh, Twitter because I'm banned from Twitter right now. I was seeing if a tweet of mine this week was going to get removed. It did not. I retweeted the story about Steve Bannon who said this week that he thinks they should behead Dr. Fauci. And put his head on display as a warning to federal bureaucrats, which earned him a permaban on Twitter. But I, I appreciate re- the energy. And I like- retweeted it and I said, let's cut off Steve Bannon's head and put it on a spike and then let some kids play soccer with it. Right. The, the, okay. So in college, in undergrad, I had a uh, poli sci pre law uh, professor who was, you know, a real fucking lib. Like, a just, but like one of those cool, like, 90s libs who had like a beard and shit. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so like, yeah, I mean, this motherfucker like held hands around the Pentagon and then realized the real problem was not working together and having enough free speech. Um, like a real Noam Chomsky, we'll call it. But anyway, he had a statement which was the solution to free speech you don't like is more free speech. And I uh, took that, but I say the solution to armed mobs of Donald Trump is armed mobs for Joe Biden. We need to like really just lean into this instability and embrace it and create instability of our own. That's right, guys. Armed mobs. Uh, for either ki- for anybody, we're for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, did you vote for Biden? You willing to take a bullet for him? I guess you don't really support him. Um, you know, because Trump voters, they're willing to take a bullet for him. They'll go hard. You need to go harder. They're at least willing to embarrass themselves. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Murder your neighbor. We, as a podcast, encourage this behavior in Minecraft. Do it. In Minecraft. (laughs) Uh, There were some funny, funny things. I, you know, I did let myself enjoy a couple things. Like this whole 
fiasco with Donald Trump's people seemingly booking a random landscaping company because it's called the Four Seasons Landscaping. Oh shit, company. that was hilarious. No, oh, yeah, God. that was fun. Wait, what's the story behind this? So this is some- the one thing my mother said today to me that did not start a fight and that we both laughed at. It okay, so it's truly funny. Um apparently somebody just looked up four seasons uh in Pennsylvania and uh, the four seasons that the Trump campaign settled on is a Four Seasons Landscaping Company, not affiliated with the hotel chain. And uh, it's like across from like a crematorium. (laughs) And before the media or the, you know, whatever, the main media started calling uh, Biden president, elect Biden. Trump was supposed to have a little press conference from this parking lot uh in front of this landscaping company <laughs> yeah and no it, it was selena meyer as fuck it, i just spectacular like like it was um, just it was literally very clear that they made a googling mistake and then they just leaned into it and that fucking rolls <laughs> it uh it rolls so hard I, I did enjoy that. You know, people are being way cringe. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been um, uh, interesting. Speaking of Selena Meyer, uh, did anybody listen to any of the vice president and or vice president elect and president elect speeches? I listened to all of it. The puppy is kind of acting up, so I might get interrupted, though. Okay, well, that's fine. I will say this. It was it was very VP. I will say this. Number one, they played mm-hmm. Tom Petty Won't Back Down, which was literally from Veep, but also rest in peace, Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. Number two, in Thanks to Philadelphia, they played Hall and Oates. Uh that what the fuck song? They, they should have they should have oh, making done your dreams no. come true. Ooh ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. No, they played Hall. They should have done Nelly as a thanks to Atlanta. That is clearly Milwaukee, and we're going to ignore that. And what you meant to say was Wait, outcast. What? Nelly's not from Atlanta, dude. Nelly's from like St. Louis. St. Louis. Yeah, Nelly's from the Midwest, Wait. which doesn't matter. No, yeah. You're thinking of outcast. And. <laughs> Steve's white. He doesn't know where various rappers from the 2000s are from. Um, but yeah, now he's from St. Louis. That's where they where? say here as her in so far as it's getting hot in her, um, which also like helpfully gives a double meaning to here. It's very poetic, but based largely on the existence of the St. Louis accent, uh, extremely Derrida. Like, you know, the speech writing binaries, like literally just come to a head in it's getting hot in here. So take off all your clothes. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. So, so the speeches were very VP in that they were very, I did not listen. I just looked at it silently on my tv i did like 
Kamala's uh, suit, her white suit. People are going. I saw it. Oh. <laughs> See, I listened on the in the car through the radio, and I had the NPR people telling me that it was a white suit. Yeah, it was a beautiful suit. The white suit traditionally for suffragettes. Oh, God. Why are we doing that? That was what the NPR person You know what? Fuck you guys. (laughs) This is the thing, is like, as much as I am in agreement about how we feel uh, about this, uh, I do think you can't deny that it is meaningful on a very base level that a woman, a South Asian woman, a black woman uh, is the vice president. And uh, people are, you know, I would never be cringe about such a thing, but I can be indifferent to the fact that it is meaningful. No, no, but that's not what we were making fun of. I know, I know. Our people, the NPR people going, she's wearing a a white suit, which is traditionally the color that the suffragettes wore. My issue is that that shit was in England in like the 19 teens. And then like America liberals took it up in like 2017 and now it's a tradition of the suffrage. That's my main thing. I'll also like say, um, you know, like blah, 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 material interest doesn't matter about the whole South Asian woman shit. But like I I wasn't even talking about that and like not even going to like go there. I'm just saying like it's this weird transplanted and invented tradition that isn't really a tradition because I saw it happen in real time in that is the true. three years. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like also like if you feel things because like a woman of color vice president, like you're also dumb, but like I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like I would say that. But I wasn't saying that. <laughs> I mean, you you are welcome to say that. It just still is. But I wasn't uh, saying that. I would say that in certain situations if you asked me. But, like, no one asked me. So, like, <laughs> I'm not saying that. I just, I would. But I'm not. Well, I, yeah. But the suffragette thing is, like, kind of, it's like, it's like a dumber version of Kwanzaa. I'll say that. Like, you know, people talk about, like, oh, Kwanzaa, that's an invented holiday. And, like, you know, yeah, all holidays are invented. But, like, it's just a dumber invention that someone came up with than Kwanzaa. Uh, I um, just want to make a statement right now. I am pro-Kwanzaa. Uh- <laughs> oh, I'm pro-Kwanzaa as shit. I'm against all of the sudden female hyper-powerful politicians wearing a white pantsuit invokes the quasi-Marxist suffragette movement from England in 1917. Like, that's all my line is. It just, uh, Kamala Harris is no Emily Pankhurst, is all I'm saying. 
But like Kwanzaa is cool as shit. Like fucking beeswax candles, Ubuntu, uh, <laughs> fucking like collective economics. Fuck that. That shit rules. I'm good with Kwanzaa. Yeah, uh, we are. We are pro. Uh, this is a Kwanzaa. You know what? You know, tis the season because we're already into November, which I always call pre-Kwanzaa season. Yeah. So like, I hope that you are all. Uh, you know, planning on discussing uh, black empowerment with your children. Uh, I hope you have picked out all your Kwanzaa gifts. I hope your dashikis are clean pressed because uh, uh, Panko Kami slots were preparing for Kwanzaa this year. I really would love uh, dashiki print of the Panko Kami slots. <laughs> oh, shit. Graphic. Yeah, Matt. Okay, that and also that line from that Bob Dylan song. Those are your two oh, tasks Jesus Christ. on this one. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say they're related, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, so we're announcing now the PCS Kwanzaa special. Uh, it's happening. It's Have happening. guest stars. Yeah, it's going to be great. True meaning of Kwanzaa. True seven meanings of Kwanzaa. You know who's smiling in heaven right now? Um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. <laughs> John Le- John Lewis and... Uh, oh, yes. Oh, God. No, John Lewis. And also John, John McCain. McCain. yeah. Uh, and John okay, McCain. so this is my favorite and aspect. And George Bush Sr. This is my... Oh, my God. This is my favorite aspect of the... Uh, election reporting is how casually and frequently and often pundits were implying that ghosts affect on <laughs> on the outcomes. I was loving it. Well, it kind of it kind of goes back to the I think the most nauseating thing about this, and, and I think this is very much an indication of it. just Fukuyama in liberal triumphalism the uh belief that this is the end yeah. this is the history and people are celebrating it like it's the end of history yeah and uh, yeah we yeah, have definitely we have reached the point of ultimate progress and there's no way to progress now we're just going to undo the things that were i mean it's how can you say it's an aberration when literally Obama resulted in Donald Trump, like that should be an existentially crippling question. But yeah, simply the election of Joe Biden undoes all of that. And we've won again. We won before with George W. Bush versus Obama. But now we super won because Donald Trump is out. Yeah, we super won. That's it. End of story, and let's force people to wait on us at a brunch. Nothing to see here. Yeah, like just triumph. There is, there is. Why did you lose before? Like you need to ask that question. Why did Donald Trump get elected in the first place after Barack Obama, and he was running against Hillary Clinton? Like with the. Fuck. And why did he almost beat Joe Biden after an unprecedented disaster? Those are questions you should be asking, and you should not feel good right now. And 
I don't know. Maybe All I these come off. People want to do is feel good. God damn it, Marlo. <laughs> like. They don't deserve, no one deserves to feel good. We should all be collectively sharing in suffering because, you know, I still don't feel safe going to a bar and it's still the end of the world. And every country that isn't the United States is implementing new lockdowns. And if you look at the numbers, it's the worst uh, spread of coronavirus since March when we all locked down. Mm -hmm. And I just heard Joe Biden saying that we're going to solve coronavirus without a lockdown, which is basically saying we're not going to solve coronavirus. We're just going to make it not inconvenient for you, which was Trump's policy. And I don't see like... No, we should, like, this is all bad, and you should feel bad about it. I, I just, it just, it's almost like the trope of the, like, depressed realist, where it's like, oh, the depressed person sees the world as it is. And I, I don't have depression. I, I'm an extremely positive motherfucking individual. But, like, yeah, we should all be suffering right now. Like, just objectively, that's a state we should all be in. And we should share that and we should grow from that and relate to each other from that and realize that we all have each other in our suffering. But we should all be fucking suffering. Like, it just annoys me. So we shouldn't be turning to our... When I mean, play Hollow Notes. Like, absolutely. Every time is a good time to play Hollow Notes. So I'll give them that. They played Hollow Notes. I'm good with that. <laughs> <sighs> Playing Fuck Donald Trump out my window. Was- yeah. Is that a song? You- oh, my God, yeah. Marlo. I don't pay attention <laughs> to this cringe lip shit. This, it's not, I mean, it's it's a pretty funny song. It's just somebody, yes, lots of people Look, play that. when I... When I was a youngin, I had Immortal Technique uh, who wrote a song called Bush Knocked Down the Towers, and you wouldn't believe what it was about or a legend. <laughs> like, that's my... Uh, yeah, I was topical, a young man. That's my topical music uh, of my day. It was a good old little Immortal Technique, you know, and uh, you sit down, you listen to some of that. You, maybe you'll listen to some Leftover Crack, uh, another band from back in the days of the 2000s. And you would say, man, capitalism sucks. I don't know this fuck Donald Trump nonsense. Sounds cringe to me. I'm seeing a lot of cringe, but I'm also like, I'm over policing for cringe. I'm over it. I, we got to police more because you know what? Uh, Donald Trump doesn't have secret police anymore, so we need to step in. <laughs> That's actually one of my predictions for Biden is he will crack down harder on leftist protesters. Oh, it's definitely. Oh, yeah, it's all going to suck. Yeah, it's going to be great. The first time a police officer killed a black man. I mean, you know what? The happiest person in the world right now is a little man named Juan Guaido. Because he is actually going to be the president of Venezuela now. Because a not fucking retarded person is in charge of America. And we can overthrow government if we want to. 
I mean, what's, I mean, that's a consistent truth of, that's, that's what we do. We couldn't under Trump because Trump is the dumbest person on earth. Well, yeah, because. And he's like, oh, overthrow a government? Do you mean like go golfing and have Cheeto hands? You know, and like Juan Guado never got to be president. And he's like, hey, Donald Trump, can I be president of Venezuela? And Donald Trump's like, yeah, sure. As soon as I'm done sucking Vladimir Putin's dick. And and Juan Guado never got to be president because Donald Trump was too busy sucking Vladimir Putin's dick. And he never got around to making Juan Guado president. And now Joe Biden, a man who has never had a desire to suck Vladimir Putin's dick, is just going to go, hey, man, I'm here for two things, to chew bubblegum and make Juan Guado president of Venezuela. And I'm out of bubblegum. And the Bolivarian revolution will end. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's going to be awful. Shit with China and North Korea is going to go back to being shitty again. Yeah, no, Kim Jong-un won't have any good jokes anymore. It sucks. He won't have a friend. Yeah, he won't have a best bud. (laughs) Yeah, he won't have a best bud, and he's going to have to, like, just start his people because he's sad now. He's going to miss his friend. Maybe maybe the CIO will actually kill him, and we'll get a a lady boss in there. Yeah, CIA is not going to kill the leader of North Korea. That's lame. Don't do that shit. Like, then China gets angry, and, like, the price of, like, those things you clip on your index finger to see what your blood sugar level is goes up. Like, it's a whole thing. It, it's a whole thing. It, it is a whole thing. That is true. Your blood oxygen level. Sorry. I got my things confused. Well, I mean, I... You don't uh, clip it. You prick your finger to get your blood sugar level. No, you got a little, like, light thing you clip on for your blood oxygen level. That's what I was referring to. Real heads would know. Yeah, so I I just, okay, so yeah, my parents have been watching an incessant amount of MSNBC in the last four days, and it's been like an absolute fucking hell. And the one like common refrain from all of this has been about how under Obama, when Donald Trump won the election, Obama invited Donald Trump to the White House to show him the ropes. And everyone's like, I bet Donald Trump won't do that for Joe Biden. It's been like this common refrain. They're just obsessed with civility. Right. And like, okay, so like my question is, though, it can be presumed from the way MSNBC speaks that Donald Trump is a totalitarian far right fascist who is an existential threat to the United States of America. So when Obama invited him to the White House, the question is, one, does Obama not actually believe that to be the case? And you're lying to us. Two, does Obama believe that's the case, but believes that that should be respected and given the dignity of being invited to the White House? And I had a three, but I forget it. But, like, no, honestly, like, this is the thing that's been pissing me off is just, you know, actions not meeting words. 
you know, like just the idea that like I I, I saw the fucking uh, I saw the veep speech and the peep speech, whatever the word for president is. That's not veep. So it doesn't have a V. Um, Puss speech. But, um, yeah, I saw the, the speeches, and I remember Kamala saying, like, oh, we, like, she listed all this shit. You voted for science, civility. You voted for this. You voted for that. You voted for science. And yet they're not banning global war. They're not banning um, fracking. And... You know, frankly, being okay with fracking is climate change. That is as much denying what the science says as saying China made up global warming to hurt the American economy. The only difference is China made up global warming to hurt the American economy versus global warming's real, but let's frack. The first of those stories is internally consistent, at the very least. There is a story that makes sense from beginning, middle, and end. The second story has a beginning and then has a middle that contradicts the beginning and has an end that contradicts everything. And the idea that Trump is a fascist, so let's be civil to him Mm -hmm. and his people, is a... self-defeating thing. See, I don't think that they... Bunny, do you have any thoughts on this? I I mean, uh, I definitely think you're right. There is this overemphasis on civility and etc. But I actually think what I saw a lot of today is a sort of bullshit facade about civility and a lot of people engaging in straight up pettiness like the glee with in which i'm fine with regular people being like haha fuck donald trump like you can celebrate his defeat without getting too excited about biden's win so yeah i'm just seeing a lot of pettiness to me that so i that the, i like uh, the real pettiness is having an armed mob storming a county clerk's office to stop a vote recount. That's some real, like, good productive pettiness. And Donald Trump is the master of that. Just saying, like, oh, he's a fascist, but isn't it, like, telling that Obama invited him to the White House and was respectful to him? Why are you being respectful to a fascist? It, okay, okay, I I have an answer for that. I don't think they think he's a fascist. Okay, that was theory one on that. I, I don't think that they think he's a fascist. I think that this is the end of history we're talking about. End of history, there is no fascism, there is no communism. There is only liberal democracy, neoliberalism, conservatism, liberalism, the two sides of neoliberalism. They can't compute outside of that binary kind of dialogue between two opposing sides of the same coin and they only think of it in terms of idealism which in this case is civility and vulgarity and i think that they don't oppose donald trump ideologically because they don't see ideology they only they oppose donald trump's vulgarity and that's Mm -hmm. That's that's most of what 
their issue with him is, is they are, when it comes down to it, like bourgeois, you know, upper middle class bourgeois, like people with, you know, fucking fingers shoved all the way up their asses when it comes to saying curse words and being like proper in public and like, you know, LA, not LA, uh, DC is just the most stuck up people that went to school, did all their homework, were very proud of it. And well, I, yes, I think uh, that is uh, a big element uh, of it. I think that's why the, um, you know, supposed conservative media is, you know, not acquiescing to Trump's uh, desires because there's a bit of even like those established conservative people, they also don't like Trump's vulgarity, but also they can't fully control him. And... I don't know if you guys got to see any Fox News, but there was a lot of pointed uh, statements seemingly designed to speak directly to Trump that were like, (laughs) President Trump should accept. We're not saying he lost, but a loss is possible. And if that is the outcome, he should accept it. Like this very uh, measured kind of thing. Um, And I think there's a lot of people in the conservative side of things who are also eager to get back to uh, the old days. Uh, Civility. Yeah. They want to say it's the civility or whatever, but they want to get back to the game that they have fully designed and they want people to check out. They want people to go back to fucking brunch and they want people... Uh, to not pay as much attention so that they can have this monopoly on what happens in politics. And they. I, okay, so I agree to that to a point, but also it needs to be reminded that at the end of the day, Trump is objectively incredibly good at what he does and at the end the the like because there's this hope that trump is this aberration in the republican party and we're going to erase it in the sands of history like the monument to ozymandias uh but at the end of the day they beat hillary clinton in 2016 with donald fucking trump and then the apocalypse happened, then a quarter million Americans died, and they almost beat Joe Biden. And I, the hope that, oh, the powers that be just want it to go away is kind of this nice hope uh, that the adults in the room will, like, eventually put the stop to everything. Mm-hmm. But... The adults in the room, their job is to win elections. And Donald Trump is demonstrably good at winning elections. Well, this this gets to another thing um, that I've noticed a lot. The discussion about is now the Republican Party the party of the working class? <laughs> no. Well, well there, that has been 
a a constant kind of propaganda that has gone around because and this is something i think links back to what i said the last time which is or like five seconds ago which is that they link working class with that vulgarity yeah and i have some thoughts on that but like i don't want to like step on your thing so go ahead i just said that this is a perception that has been proliferated that by mostly fascists, mm-hmm. to be honest, the propagation that now the Democratic Party is the party of the liberal elites, the suburban middle class, upper middle class, uh, bougie Hollywood types um, who all want to go to brunch, and that Donald Trump and his 70 million people uh, is gaining ground in black and brown communities uh, more so than since you know before the civil rights act blah 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 um that uh now we can say the republican party is going to take the mantle uh, of the party of the working class because that is uh who voted for donald trump in their eyes and uh i find that to be a very dangerous uh, misguided fascist propaganda that uh, if we do see a Tucker Carlson in 2024 or a Mom Cotton in 2024, um, that kind of simulation or lack thereof will, they'll perceive it as a political force um, that they should harness because Donald Trump did. I uh, 100% agree that this is a very real and very dangerous trend. And this is actually something uh, that I've been interested in doing uh, research, like some better uh, research on for quite a while, but in... Very characteristically, I simply did not do that. Um, (laughs) But no, okay, so this is not just, well, I mean, okay, on the one hand, this is a very right-wing propaganda thing, but the thing that makes it dangerous is many people on the left are very earnestly buying into this propaganda, and part of that comes from a click that ostensibly positions itself to the left that I, I've i been thinking about a lot lately, lately. Oh, son of a bitch. Sorry, I just lost the chess game. Very brilliantly, <laughs> uh, my opponent played extremely well. Actually, I played terribly. But either way, I'm hitting resign right now. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, so... Um, no, the, okay, so this would be the difference between what I'm going to dub workerism versus socialism. <laughs> Is there a motorcycle happening outside someone's window? No, outside of mine, and I'm on it. That's, again, I'm That's only- so fucking cool, dude. You're like <laughs> Satan. You're he like, always on a motorcycle. Yeah, no, I'm, he just has I'm, like I'm sunglasses. A time, I'm a top. You know what Steven is like? Steven is like 
uh, the Onion's vision of Biden in Joe 2011. <laughs> I prefer to be a like Tom Waits character on a on a movie. Yeah, show. well, you're Onion Biden level, so that's like almost as good. But uh, yeah, no, okay. So this would be like what I'm calling workerism, which is this very inherently liberal or reactionary uh, standpoint of having this ideal vision of a worker and looking towards this worker's proclivities, likes and dislikes, and then arguing the left should take up an electoral stance that goes after these likes and dislikes, but then repackages it and rephrases it in this pseudo-Marxist class analysis. And mm-hmm. you often hear this with ideas about the the PCM the or PMC, the professional managerial class. And this very, I'm not going to mention any uh particular podcasts that rely on this, but there are some that do, and you know what ones those are. Um, but this idea that anti-racism is alienating to the working class, anti-sexism is alienating to the working class, a uh, pro-immigrant is alienating to the working class. And all of this very inherently assumes what the working class is in relation to racism, sexism, and immigration. Uh, it doesn't discuss, as a socialist does, of what the actual material interests of the working class is looking beyond the constructs of race, class, and state. Um, It presumes race, class, and state exists, and then goes on from there to talk about the working class and their interests and disinterests, um, which would be called a positivist or not dialectical way of thinking. Um, It basically lands itself on this idea of why so many on the left almost unironically support Donald Trump, see Tucker Carlson as this voice of reason, is this idea that, well, they hate the liberals too, and they're talking about objective problems that certain working class people are hate are facing and the biggest issue is this often gets called class reductionism and it's not class reductionism because almost always they never actually talk about class interests they they almost always talk about these cultural markers and this that and the other thing and it's always very idealist um they never give a class who's they can you give us a they the people that follow this workerist mindset. I would. Who? Who? I mean, who are the bastions of this? Because I, I, I think I know who you're talking about, but who do you think you're? Talking I, about? I don't know. I'm scared of a certain mm-hmm. color, but um. Wait, what? I'm scared of a color. Red scare. What? 
But no. See, I'm thinking more like Hill Rising. Well, okay, no, the the yeah, that absolutely as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. That also is an example of that. Yeah, this idea that when you see that idea of this right-left populist alliance, which populist is this completely empty fucking term that means nothing, and anyone who tells you otherwise is an idiot or a grifter. Um, Whenever you see that, whenever you see someone talking about Tucker Carlson, like he, oh, he has a point or whatever, they're going on this sleight of hand where they substitute an actual class analysis for essentially an id poll, but replace identity with this imagined class. And this also, I would say, feeds into the liberal side of things, where there's a common like thing in a, a donut Twitter bio that it's like, Class is an identity, and it's not the most important identity. And they're stupid for saying that because class is not an identity. Class is a material relation. It's not a fucking identity. But that's being allowed on the quote-unquote left by these workerists who replace a class analysis for a liberal id poll analysis of class. And in doing that, they assume there is this white American male working class ideal that they believe the left should simply make arguments that you that you should vote for us because we're going to do things you like, not things that objectively materially improve the situation of the international working class, but things that this imagined working class man believes in. And it's an essentially idealist argument. It's essentially an id poll argument, but it wraps itself in this anti-id pollism. And even on the left, those who oppose it, buy into it so far as they call it class reductionist when it is not class reductionist. What do you think, Bunny? Yeah, I think the, like the reason so many people see class as an identity is because that is the only lens through which a lot of people can view things. That's where a lot of this essentialism comes from, where they have this idea about this mythical working class person. And it's um, nobody likes the story that the working class are uh, like people who work at the mall, right? It's all everyone's very attached to this idea of the working class as like this certain character, this stock character. It's a coal miner, it's a whatever. And I am very interested in the way people on you know, the left are also eager to use this character to excuse. You don't have to invest in identity politics to know when something is racist or sexist, right? 
I, well, I, I, think- I have a kind of concrete example that um, actually involves one of our fans indirectly. Okay. <laughs> um, so one of our fans, I'll call her... Julie. Yeah. Anyway, so Julie gave us a book when we were living together, and somehow I ended up with this book. Thanks for that, Stephen. Uh, but uh, by Christopher Lash... Uh, called uh, Culture of Narcissism, and he is actually no, no, that wasn't that wasn't from her. Oh, that wasn't that from her book. I found. Oh, yeah. was that from? Uh... Okay, all right, never mind. She gave us a book about American exceptionalism. Oh, okay, sorry, Julie. Other one. My yeah. bad, Julie. You're off the hook. No, but okay. So, like, essentially, it's these people who want to almost culturally fit in with the far left, but like are not actually into left-wing theory. And this is where it gets annoying because all too often you hear on the left or in any political space, like, oh, that's not real communism. Oh, he's not a real socialist. Oh, he's... And it's essentially always this repeated no true Scotsman argument. And the line that I will draw with workerism versus socialism is this idea that when you get down to it, their theoretical influences consciously or unconsciously are paleoconservatives like Christopher Lash. Uh, Michael Lind is another one. And basically it's this, what Marx would call, uh, I believe conservative socialism uh, in the manifesto, but it's this acknowledgement that capitalism is a deterritorializing force, is a destroyer of traditional hierarchies when those traditional hierarchies don't serve capital. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the easiest notion would be uh, why can a man not be a breadwinner for his family anymore? Is that because of feminism? Is that because capital decided it's better to pay workers half as much and have twice as many people work? Yeah, probably. Uh, that, that almost certainly is the case. Um, at a certain point, uh, it's no longer sustainable to have a man be the sole breadwinner for the family. And the socialist will uh, look at this relationship, you know, I I mean, not to use dialectical, but be unable to define it, but in a dialectical standpoint of, you know, basically how all these relationships work interchangeably. Um, The liberal will say, hey, isn't it great that capitalism promotes equality among sexes because now women are fucking working like men are? The workerist will say, hey, doesn't it suck that women are not homemakers because of capitalism? And that's like, I would say, the best attempt I have off the cuff of giving a concrete example of like an actual application of what I'm talking about. I have a different formulation for it um, where I call 
you know, Hillary Rising, Kyle Kalinske, Justice Democrats, um, I guess, I don't know, bread tube to one degree or another. I find them like all these anti-Marxist leftists. I mean, uh, I would just, they're, they're not exactly who I'm talking about. Okay. Like I would just kind of consider them sort of in the liberal sphere of like social democratic liberals, essentially. I'm more taught. I mean, okay, whatever. I'll just, yeah, I'm talking about Red, talking about, Red Scare. Are you talking about, I'm talking about Red Scare. I'm Sager? talking about what's left. I'm talking about Sagar. Yeah, talking? yeah. I'll, I'll throw Sagar into that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I <laughs> I would throw Tucker Carlson into that. Uh, uh, if I if you want me to give specifics, that's who I'm talking about. I would say like that's very much nationalism. Um, well, that's okay. That is part of it because the idealized worker is can is assumed to be a patron, and right. it's pushing against the notion that capital at the end of the day has no borders. It's pushing against these ideas that you know. I mean, in the Fordist economy, there was a certain level of stability and comfort that came from certain hierarchical relationships that are now being destroyed by modern capital. And it's a pushback and saying what we need is those hierarchical relationships again. And capital can be, yes, yes, Angela Nagel. And capital can be maintained if we reestablish these hierarchical relationships. Right. Um, okay. is specifically what I'm talking about. And that is not a new phenomenon. As I alluded to with the Communist Manifesto, that was happening in the 1800s when peasants suddenly were being freed and they moved to the city to work in factories and found out they were miserable doing that. And some people argued, hey, they should be peasants again. That'd be cool. Like, let's go back to feudalism uh, because no one likes working in a factory. This sucks. And at least when you were a peasant, you knew what you were doing. And there was a centuries long established relationship between peasant and nobleman. And that passed for socialism at a certain point. It definitely has the idea that um, we're better with borders. And yeah, and that's even going so far as borders between men and women, yeah. borders between us and them. Exactly. And yeah. No. Border, no. Borders between people are good. And if we establish those borders, then people will reap the benefits from the borders that we now have lost. Well, it's also like this idealism where... Some traditional things are uh, not just how we organized society, but uh, manifestations of some internal essential Mm -hmm. thing, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, that's why a lot of these people are particularly hung up on the, you know, this idea that women are alienated from their own essential drive to be mothers, Mm -hmm. Which I find 
like fascinating because um, it's very much like because it tells them to like go out there and work, work, work and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's hilarious to me because I just feel like uh, a lot of people can't afford a child. because Right. <laughs> like, OK, so like it. There is an aspect of that that gets incorporated in workerism where that then translates to, well, capitalism is bad because it's robbing women of their natural inclinations to be mothers. Well, I mean, I, I just I often see the focus from a certain angle. Right. Like because like, there, there is legitimately a socialist argument about the fact that um we're so financially unstable no one can raise children and that is bad. Um but there's also mm-hmm. this, you know, workerist argument that part of the alienation of capitalism because they couch it all in this anti-capitalist idea, but it gets put more on the natural state is the nuclear family and capital is robbing us from that. If you go into socialism, they'll also attack the nuclear family as a unit. And they'll also talk about that. But, like, when you get into the workers' mindset, like, they're kind of just sad that we don't have the type of capitalism that allowed the cleavers to exist. Yeah. Well, okay, so then then what happens to the Republican Party? Because that's where this started. If you're saying, okay, it's Republican Party is not party of the working class it's the party of a an emergent workerism what happened to the republican party is the success of trump which is providing an answer where the democrats refuse and that's what the success of trump was the success of trump was saying you're miserable right now because immigrants made you miserable And the Democrats responded with saying, America is already great and you're not miserable right now. And a bunch of miserable people said, well, one of these people acknowledges that I'm miserable right now and is at least giving us an answer. And you can like load in anything you want in substitution for uh, immigrants so long as it's not the organization of capital and production uh, because that's actually threatening. But no, the future of the, I mean, if they're frankly smart about it, uh, Donald Trump did represent a winning formula so long as the the Democrats refuse to answer it. But my, I guess my question is, do they, do they need to be vulgar as he is? I mean, cause that seemed to be a large part of his appeal that, the Washington DC people couldn't respond to was the vulgarity. Like they dismissed it because of its vulgarity and it, it, and it wiped away the civility that they've been used to. And that that kind of language in, in a lot of their minds uh, was so foreign to them that it spoke to this subsection of people that 
are miserable, um, and a lot of them were poor. I would and, say that the Democrats are playing as much as I criticize the concept of the uh, PMC. They're playing that role to the Republicans, and they're actually making this a reality where they're basically they have this belief that there's this objective way to manage government because government's a large institution and it should be managed by professionals who know what they're doing. And Donald Trump basically pointed out that no one's life has gotten better with that model. Uh, Just, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I would say you're not getting better. It's just going to get worse. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I would say um, the. I mean, it's. I mean, it's the uh, Harry Potter ideal that if you just are smart enough, you can literally change reality by studying hard in school. Like you can simply. There is a right way to run for to run the government. I don't think it's just the government. I think it's you can manage the empire. Oh, and if, yeah. if you can display that you can manage the empire, um, I mean, it just it just reminds me of like what the Democrats tried to impeach him on, and I, you know, you've criticized me about some of my takes with this, but like. I'm not saying they would have successfully impeached them if they brought the camps into it. I'm saying they would have at least related to people on a certain level. Because when you're talking about moving million-dollar missiles around Eastern Europe and, oh, my God, he held up our ability to move million dollar missiles around Eastern Europe because he wanted some shit on Hunter Biden. That's so fucking foreign as a concept of like, why do we need to be moving million dollar weapons around Eastern Europe? Well, I think that's a good example of something I think I've discovered is that, uh, It's like liberals want to impress their bad conservative dads. But like, uh, they, wait, wait. They, they want to be so civil. They want to be so clean by their own metrics about things. Um, so they're going to approach trying to impeach Donald Trump by talking about something that's faintly militaristic, uh, right? Yeah. Um, oh, let's make it seem like it's a national security. But like, my problem is just the presumption, though, because it's not even about militarism. It's about presumably there's some experts who studied really hard in school and said that Ukraine needs this missile system. And Mm -hmm. that should be the end of the argument. And the very idea that someone somewhere might say, I don't know what the Ukraine is and I don't give a fuck. 
just never comes up to anyone that like I I don't care about this. What's Hunter Biden doing? And Donald Trump is cool. And I don't know what this missile system is. I don't know what the situation in the Ukraine is. I don't know why anyone cares about Vladimir Putin in the first place because he's never adversely affected my life. And just like it doesn't occur to them that simply deferring to people who studied really hard in school and get to tell us this country needs these missiles isn't good enough for some people. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, because they want it to be a game where there are very well-drawn rules and how the way you level up is you have expertise right. and credentials and whatever. And somebody who doesn't give a fuck. Well, the other thing um, about it was that it was... Disrupts that. The yeah. other thing about that was that it wasn't a complete astroturf yeah. campaign. It was, an astro- it was a fake campaign. I was working as a political journalist at the time. And I was... Uh, given the task of going to one of these town hall meetings of a local politician here in Brooklyn, and I won't name their names, uh, and it was full of um, a bunch of libs and one Trump supporter uh, who got out and walked out when he was a bad orange man. Uh, and how dare you say things about the president? And he walked out, um, you know, big statement. But, like, the, the idea behind the impeachment wasn't just, uh, wasn't just, A, to get rid of him. I mean, although that was the ultimate goal, um, which they apparently succeeded at. But it was a way for them to um, keep people engaged in this lull between the midterms and the, and the, uh, and the general election that... Uh, could have these local things where people went to to care about how orange man bad it was all rhetorical there was no actual material substance that was or information that was passed to me or anybody else in that um meeting but it was just a way to to campaign without having a campaign and it was all rhetorical it was all bullshit it was Unsubstantiated <laughs> sound of Brooklyn, baby. Yeah, absolutely. Smoking out with them. It's a historic evening, Stephen. Orange man out. There is no longer a cheat. Orange party in Brooklyn. Look, I mean, what are the uh, Democrats and the Irish Republican Army have in common? They both agree that orange man bad. Chucky <laughs> Ard Law, baby. Uh, I feel like this is almost appropriate to end it on. <laughs> uh, death to America. Yeah. Uh, our time shall come. Uh, English out of Ireland. Chucky mm-hmm. um, Ard Law. Uh, <laughs> up the RA. Um, I don't know. I'm on a 
as as anti-Catholic as I've been through this campaign, I'm in a very pro IRA mood right now. Um. Yeah. I mean, uh, Joe Biden is the IRA candidate. He, he absolutely is. He is an Irish Catholic who is taking a stand against the Orangemen. Also, he's bringing an Italian oh. into the White House. Doctor, Doctor. Uh, I didn't Biden. know that. I, I that is relevant information to voters that should have been more well known. Hey, well, I didn't realize it till. I mean, today, I didn't vote for him. honestly, and we should have been calling yeah, that. I didn't, like, again, I didn't vote for him, but I would have <laughs> not voted for him harder had I known. That <laughs> they would be stanking up the White House kitchens with garlic. <laughs> well, garlic's good. Yeah, if you're a fucking greaseball. <sighs> yeah. So, oh my God, we just got, okay, basically, we've got, uh, we got an Irish uh, Catholic. We got a uh, Italian I am uh, so Catholic. sad for that um, chick. Who, uh, we got a Jewish man. The a, dude is rolling second, in his grave. The second man. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, Her- got, Kamala's husband's a Jew? Oh, man. Yeah. I, and he's an I entertainment feel so lawyer. so bad for Jack Check right now. He is spinning in his grave. Like, this is literally, as someone who has read every Everything. Jack Chick comic ever written since the beginning of time, because... I got into him in high school uh, and remained into mm-hmm. him. This is literally his uh, rapture scenario. Worst this is nightmare. actually the rapture for Jack Check. Yeah, and he died during the Trump administration. So, like, literally, Jack Chick, when he started writing comics, Kennedy was the president. And Mm -hmm. as soon as he started writing comics, the first Catholic president got shot and there were no longer any Catholic presidents. Mm -hmm. And then he died and we elect a fucking Catholic. God damn, dude. Uh, He has single handedly Mm -hmm. been holding off the Vatican takeover of America for I can't count the number of decades between the 1960s and the 2010s but I'm going to I'm going to just say you know fuck it I'm going to I'm going to go bigger go home I'm going to say 8 decades he, for the last 8 decades <laughs> he has been holding <laughs> off okay the popist wave uh, that will conquer traditional Protestant American values. He dies. The dams are open. We are all <laughs> going to be taking communion and worshiping the Pope now. And yeah, that's happening. Woo! Sorry, guys. See, but I like, I like my. Communion. He never okay, did anything against the Orthodox. And it's a big oversight of his. He's done things. I've read anti-Buddhist <laughs> chick tracks. He has done things against literally every religion except the Orthodox. That's right. Because we're well, the one no, true evangelical religion. Protestantism is you should really read Jack Check. <laughs> I 
I I know. Yeah, I mean, he, he's that. very convincing. Or thought that. Fang I mean, is. I mean. Oh, I know. I know Fang. I know all the chick trips. I, I know every recurring unnamed character in Jack Chick comics that he he recycles drawings for. Yeah, he fucking rules. He's fucking Zoomers today, and it's like, oh, did you see the latest uh, Ben Garrison? Like, fuck you. Fucking amateur. Fuck you, you fucking amateur. God damn, Jack Chick <laughs> fucking rule. We've always yeah, already no, seen okay. Ben Garrison. Fucking take a half strip of acid, re go on chick.com, convert to fucking evangelical Protestantism for eight hours, and then, like, cry because you've met Jesus and then talk to me about Ben Garrison you fucking piece of shit children hate him just just anyway that's to America Uh, Uh, yes and the children alright guys I'm calling this the good Biden celebration (laughs) episode yeah, no. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. This should be the title. No longer Cheeto in the White House. We did it, guys. We won. Jill, Jill Stein. We won. Yeah. Anyway. What about Jill Jorgensen? Talk about that. <laughs> <sighs> I just needed to say it in a Baltimore accent. John Joggerson. John Gerson <laughs> would be the Philly accent uh, way of saying it. John Joggerson. That's actually my ultimate test is whether or not they actually counted my absentee ballot is to just look if there's one or zero votes from Cape May County, New Jersey for Gloria LaRiva. That's my like sneak test. Sneak test. Because, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in Cape May County, New Jersey who voted LaRiva. Hey, if you listen to this podcast and you live in Cape May County, New Jersey, and you voted for Gloria LaRiva, we'll interview you. Yeah. Are you from Wildwood, New Jersey? All right. And did you vote Gloria LaRiva? Come on the podcast. Call us. <laughs> call us. And by call us, yeah. I mean tweet us. Anyway, good night. All right. That's, That's America. That, yeah, good night, everyone.